Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Weekly Four podcast. My name is Stephen Mitzner. And I'm Yosef Levenstein. So we this is our first podcast since our first anniversary. Congratulations. We made it a whole year podcasting. I did not think, and many others did not think we would make it this long. Um, the fact that we haven't had a podcast in a month, I don't know if that supports that conclusion or not, but there were some good reasons for it. Uh, number one, my whole family had COVID, and we were extremely sick for about 10, 14 days, uh, as well as the fact that both of us have been extremely busy. But the podcast must go on, even if it's a month, so we don't become the monthly four podcast. Podcast must go on. I also want to thank my wife for giving up getting her nails done right now so we could podcast. Highly unlikely Stephanie will ever listen to this, but in case she does, thank you, honey. I really appreciate it. When I think of heroes, I think of women giving up on their mani-pedis on a Friday. I think she was just getting a manicure, so I don't think it's even a penny. Still. Anyway, um, a lot to get to. Um, but first, by the way, actually... way to belittle your wife's sacrifice for this podcast, just getting a Manny. I wasn't belittling it. I was just clarifying which one she was getting. Fair enough. Well, let's start this right. Well, we are actually going to drink because today happens to be my 36th birthday. Happy birthday, Mr. Mister. And in fact, our third podcast we ever did was exactly a year ago today. So apparently we now it's twice in a row that we podcasted on my birthday. Mazel. Mm. Also worth noting that we're actually together in person. Yes, we haven't done this probably in months. So not COVID-related, more time-related and time-of-day related, but doing this at 4.25 on a Friday, um, it it was successful for both of us. The fact that I have my mom here and Joe has his mother-in-law here freed up some time that we could spend it away from our kids. I also was incredibly productive at work today and knocked out a ton of tasks that allowed me to actually end my day at four o'clock, which was pretty nice. So it just shows you anything can happen. Um, <coughs> so last night was the NBA draft. We're going to start with sports. Um, what Something happened about 20 minutes before the draft started and all of a sudden all these rumors started getting out. It was widely believed for the last few weeks that Jabari Smith Jr. was going to go first to the Orlando Magic, be the first pick in the draft. They only brought him and Chet Holmgren um, in for a workout the Magic and was highly, highly likely that he was going to be the first pick. All of a sudden, about 30 minutes before the draft, all these rumors came out that Paolo Benchero, who a lot of people thought would go to the Rockets at three, um, was going to be picked despite them not not um, bringing him in for any workouts or anything. So the draft came, and sure enough, the Magic selected Banchero. Um, Oklahoma City, who everybody expected to take Holmgren, Chet Holmgren still did at number two, leaving the Rockets, who picked third, with who many believe is the best player in the draft, Jabari Smith, falling to third. Um, I have yet still to see a reason in an article, because Orlando was very secretive about this process as to what made them pick Banchero. Um, but it was it was really interesting television. People in Houston were extremely excited because we think we got the best player in the draft. Um, and it seemed like Smith was going to even be a better fit in Orlando. So I'm very curious as to why Orlando will end up coming out saying that they went this direction when they were quoted as saying that they were likely going to take Jabari Smith, even though they said that it still wasn't a sure thing. All of the media, all the analysts... Vegas, the odds of him being the first pick kind of skewed. It was literally, Benchar was like 
eight or twelve to one to be the first pick, and then right before the draft, like an hour before, he became the favorite. So it's very interesting um, with betting insider information because this is such a re- uh, um, an interesting thing. It, it's really interesting because if you have that insider information, you make that bet knowing in the Magic organization, you can get jail time for that. So the whole thing is, my guess is nobody did that, but it is it is rare that you see such a turn at the beginning of the draft. It's almost always well known who the first pick will be. Do you have a theory on why this change happened? Um, I think they think maybe... His position is a better fit. They needed somebody maybe who could play small forward. The other two guys really were bigs. Orlando has a young kid in Wendell Carter Jr. at center um, that maybe they think that will take a lot of their minutes. Um, he was, went to Duke. He has a lot of um, pedigree. They think that he has the lo- highest floor, which means that they think that out of all of the draft prospects, he is most likely that even if it doesn't pan out, he'll still be a very solid player. So maybe they went on the safer side rather than upside. Um, but I, I don't really have... A th- I mean, there's been so little coming out about why the Magic kind of... I hope to see it in the next few days, but I still look today on ESPN and still have yet to see a real article um, hearing why they went that route. Or all of all of the inner workings of the organization before the draft, because they didn't even bring him in for a workout. So it's very interesting, which is highly unusual. And bringing him in for workouts to see how he interacts with the other players on the team? Mm-mm. More so that everybody in the organization can run them through their drills, ask him questions that they want to ask. Mm. Basically, just just have a one-on-one type thing rather than meet with him in a group, let him get acclimated to the, to the city a little bit and, and show him. Or, I mean, anything you would do to anybody else you were looking to move to your city and trying to sell them on it too. Because again... Um, it's unlikely, but there are been cases of where players didn't want to go to particular cities uh, making drafts, the most famous of which was when the Rockets drafted Steve Francis um, back in 1999. He was The second pick was Vancouver, and he did not want to move to Canada. Mm. He was uh, So literally, Vancouver ended up trading the pick to the Rockets, and we ended up getting him because he just refused to go to Vancouver. And... We had spent a fair amount of time in the last year talking about the Rockets not throwing the season. So you were saying we spent a fair amount of time on... On the Rockets' season and basically how they were... We were hoping that they would have a good place in the draft, which it sounds like they did. Um, but how did the overall draft play out for the Rockets? Extremely well. People given him them like one of the top three or four teams in the draft. They had three picks overall. They got this kid, Jabari Smith, who a lot of people think will be the best player in the draft. They got him third. Then at 17, they got Tari Eason, who a lot of people think was extremely underrated and is an amazing defender who the Rockets could use, a really strong defender on the team. And then 29th, they got a kid who literally was supposed to go between like 12 and 18. 29th, they got Ty Ty Washington, a point guard, which in case, um, or even if it does work out with my Kevin Porter Jr., um, another great young backcourt player for them. So they had a very strong draft. And last question. This insider trading thing. So there's there, I didn't know that there were insider trading laws when it comes to betting oh, for yeah. sports organizations. Yeah, I mean, it'd be like... Like it's actually... I'm, I'm saying obviously it would be frowned upon, but it's actually illegal. Like it's actually... Yeah, I can... If you have inside information and uh, and you work for the 
Mavericks organization, I mean, for the Rockets or Magic organization, and you acknowledge and you placed a big bet in um, in Vegas, I'm sure of it. Yeah, interesting. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I just didn't know that there was an actual legal ramification yeah, to it. There has to be. I mean, um, again, I'm sure they tell everybody you work for us. Don't. I mean, it would be a huge scar on the organization. So it's funny. I have yet to hear that happen yet, but with, with betting, it's just... Um, this isn't a real sporting event too, which is interesting. It's a draft. Yeah. So it's it's not actually a, a place where really inside information is even more valuable, because the outcome, if you have the first pick, you guys may you have that determination. Yeah. So. Um, and there's betting on, and there's like people can place bets on what all these drafts and who will be drafted. Correct. And, all that. and the order exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So the next, so go ahead. Yeah, that's cool. So, I mean, so it sounds like it worked out well for the Rockets. Hopefully we, so it means this season we're hoping that the Rockets play well. Well, grow and get better, but hopefully they think one more year of them not being great would be okay okay because then they'd have another high draft pick next year and they have a ton of cap space to go get a really good free agent potentially Mm. next year to really be competitive. So this is another year of hopefully growth, but not, um, not necessarily kind of too much growth in terms of win losses, so they can get one more really solid pick, and then they have a very interesting young core going forward. So, cool. all right, good stuff. Um, I was actually invited to the draft party the Rockets had last night, but because our nanny got sick, I did not end up attending. So I helped with the kids instead. So the things we give up for our families, <laughs> the things we do for love. Um, moving on, live golf is a tour that, funded by Saudi Arabia, has started. They had their first event in London. I don't know if we talked about it on the last podcast. I think we did. I remember. Or maybe not the last one, but we've talked about this new league. So they have gotten even more people. They got Bryson DeChambeau. They got um, Chase Kepka and his much more famous older brother, Brooks Kepka on the tour. They have Phil Mickelson. So, again, a lot of these guys haven't won necessarily lately. The young stars of the PGA Tour... So far, really, none of them have defected. But Saudi Arabia has just thrown so much money at these athletes. Um, and they're not looking to turn a profit that they've really kind of gotten a lot of them. So far, um, the major tournaments, the British Open, the U.S. Open, which was last week, has allowed all these players to compete. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward because the, those organizations are separate from the PGA Tour and from Live Golf, so they get to decide... Um, what are the requirements necessary in order for somebody to play in their tournaments? Um, but the British Open, I think, is in about three weeks from now. Um, from um, And that's the last major of the year. Uh, but it's it's really amazing what's happened in golf because a lot of people, after Phil Mickelson's thing when he said, like, Saudi Arabia, what they did to Khashoggi was awful, but there's just so much money and the PGA Tour really needs to be taken down a notch. Um Anyway, got a lot of pushback, and people thought because of that publicity that players wouldn't join. But money talks, and literally Dustin Johnson, who literally, I think in his career earnings, made like 30 or $40 million on the PGA Tour, they gave him a $150 million signing bonus. So when you made, you get a 4 or a 5X on your entire career earnings to go switch tours, and you could potentially still play in the major tournaments, which have this um, historical very large historical relevance and Dustin Johnson's 37 his potentially his best years are behind him on the 
golf tour. It's a, for these guys, they're willing to sports wash, which is another word that'll probably be added to the dictionary. Saudi Arabia sports washing their historical past. So it's uh, very interesting what's going on. So you're saying at 37, the best of people is behind them? That's why I'm only 36 today. <laughs> um, um, one second. Okay, so if they play in this live golf tournament, mm-hmm. they can't play in PGA? They cannot. The PGA Tour has suspended everybody who has decided to do at the live tournament. Live has, I think, eight tournaments this year. That's their whole season. Why did they suspend them? Because they believe that if they're using all of the money to sponsor and showcase and promote these players, they're not going to go spend the same amount of money on players who literally are getting paid elsewhere and promoting a different brand. So the brand is a tour? Correct. Got it. And it was originally, PG Tours originally founded by like Nicholas and Palmer. It used to just be like individual tournaments would just give whatever prize money and there would be no governing organization. Now if you want to have PGA professionals play on it. It's basically like a union of sorts mm-hmm. of players. It's basically a players union. Got it. So what's the difference between the two tours or well, it's, organizations? Well, there's no cuts now. Like you normally on the PGA tour, if you don't, um, if you don't get a loan of score after the first two rounds, you don't play the last two rounds on Saturday and Sunday and you get no money. So now everybody gets guaranteed money on the Lyft Tour just for playing in the tournament. Got it. As well as they gave these huge signing bonuses. But PGA's got a lot of historical tournaments. You have historical legacies. Tiger Woods is currently tied with Sam Snead for the most career PGA victories at 82. And people want to, like, um, there's a lot more um, just things in general um, of the historical nature on the PGA Tour. So... Uh, that's that's the reason why people have stayed. PGA has, as a result, increased some of the prize money at their events, um, and they, they it's really interesting. It's it's basically now live golf is sort of a B league, but with like huge names. But there's less tournaments. They're hoping to do a couple more next year. But um, it, it's very interesting. Greg Norman, who is one of the all time great golfers is the CEO of the Live Tour. He actually designed uh, the golf courses at our Champions Gate property. Oh, nice. Um, and um, and he's kind of leading it, and Saudi Arabia is just spending tons and tons of money um, in order to have this competing golf tour. And the sports washing thing, sports washing thing, um, it sounds like sports watching, um, it's interesting. You had a letter from the... Uh, families of the 9-11 victims because 20 of the 24 hijackers were Saudi nationals saying how can you take money from these people and and wrote an open letter to all the live golf professionals that what they were doing was a horrible thing. So I thought that was highly interesting also that the 9-11 families um, are, are very insulted by Saudi Arabia kind of cleansing their image. Uh, not going to comment on that one. But is Live Golf going to do anything in the U.S.? Yes. So the first tournament was in London, but the next one I think is, um, I think it's early July at Pumpkin Ridge in Oregon. Like I think it's the July 6th weekend. So I think it's uh, two weeks away. Um, and then the week after that is the is the British Open. Got it. Very interesting. Well, I mean, I'd say that from a... 
free market perspective, competition isn't a bad thing. Um, no, it's not um, from a free market perspective, but it's, it's interesting that is this the way to do it? They're making the argument that this isn't growing the game of golf, but rather just creating something to hurt it. Again, two sides of everything, um, of every story, and it'll be interesting to see, again, how this continues to play out. So the first live tournament was actually won by a guy named Charles Schwartzel, who hadn't won on the PGA Tour in like six years. Uh, South South African guy. Does that reinforce the B League? It, it, uh, that's what the PGA will tell you, and what Liv will tell you is that he beat lots of guys who have won way more recently, so he just had a really great weekend. So Today is also the last sports thing, the 100th anniversary of the name change of and becoming the National Football League. And why I mention this is because the NFL is the most powerful league in the United States from a valuation perspective. Their 32 teams are each valued over a billion and a half. Probably each one is not less than $2 billion. And in fact, the Denver Broncos just sold the first North American sports team to ever sell for north of $4 billion. Um, it was bought by the um, heirs of the Walmart fortune. Mm. The Walton family are were the lead buyers on it. And uh, and it's kind of amazing. I, from what I've heard is that the NFL throws off some each team about 150 to uh, 200 million dollars. So north of four billion is about a two cap on uh, on on annual revenue. That's wild. Well, no, I don't think that's right. If it's 200 million, that's a five cap is four billion because it's a 20x. So uh, my math was off there. Um, I didn't question it. You should have. Um, so I think it's about a, which, which isn't that crazy when you think about it, if the thing's actually throwing off 150 to $200 million a year. Well, does the Broncos do that? I think almost every NFL team does that just because of the strength of the television contract. Oh my gosh. That's nuts. Strength of television contract. I wonder. And media contract. Crazy. Well, I don't really have much to say on that, but. Um, what was the NFL before it became the NFL? It was like an American football... Com- I don't know. We're going to let our listeners look into that if they really okay. want to know. I, I read it quickly on Wikipedia. So. Yeah. Good deal. Well, okay, so if you want to buy a football team now, it's only $4 billion. Well, that's the Broncos. It's a higher team. There are probably some teams that would still go for less, maybe in 2 and a half or 2 to $3 billion in kind of the in the weaker markets. But it's... Um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's nuts. I mean, you literally... To be a lead owner, you're going to have to put in over a billion dollars into a team. So there's still the amount of people that just have the ability. Again, not everybody wants to put their entire net worth in it. Yeah. So while there are tons of billionaires, the amount of people that are okay putting in north of a billion dollars into a single asset is probably not more than 100 or 150 people in this country. Yeah. Yeah. So, and is there a... Like a no, it could be maybe. Is there a limit on how many owners a team can have? Or um, I think there might be. Yeah. Or there may be a, there may be a maximum, but you can... Uh, yeah, like yeah. I'm saying, like it's not... Like but they want a lead owner to have, I think, at least like 20 or 25% of yeah. the equity. Okay. So you got to in a billion... Uh, yeah, makes sense. Maybe north of even 50%. Right. It's crazy. So. It's crazy that there's so much money in it, and it's crazy that so much of that money is generated by television. But at the same time, it and media makes sense. and luxury boxes, tickets, also um, merchandise. Merchandise, yes. The NFL is a machine of money. Um, it's funny because, like, I don't know, I've like when you think about it, 
so I mean, there's uh, there's this line in um, Margin Call at the end of the movie where he says like it's just money, right? And it's basically a we we invented money so we would stop killing each other for food, essentially, to some degree. I mean, there could be version. a barter, sir. Barter, um... but even bartering, like anyway, it just it makes it easier for me to go buy a steak at a restaurant or whatever. That is um, true, but. I often think of sports and I say, like, you know, cities and towns used to kill each other also, but sports, especially in, in England and, like, soccer teams, the rivalry there, part of why they, they're they so violent is because these cities and towns have histories of, like, going to war with each other and they stop going to war and they start playing soccer or, or football or football in their case, actually. Yeah. Not soccer. So. Football is football. It's just interesting. Um, now we will go on to history. So... Aside from it being my 36th birthday. What do you mean aside? Today's your birthday. Let's talk about it. Your um, mom's here. My mom came into town. Beautiful. Uh, hopefully she will help with the kids because we haven't gotten a break in quite a while due to set COVID as well as just in general. Um, so yeah, it should be a nice weekend. 36 is two times high. It is. And That's it's nice the one. 15th anniversary of my 21st birthday. Beautiful. When I went to... Vegas with my dad and a couple of family friends and had the least debaucherous time of most people who've probably ever gone to Vegas for their 21st birthday. We went to the ESPN zone and, oh, and gambled a little bit and saw the Beatles show. So, yeah. Well, uh, like Cirque du Soleil? Love, yeah. Oh, I've always wanted to see that. That's you awesome. still haven't seen it? No. Oh, yeah. You, like, never went on any of those bachelor parties. Nope. Yeah. Nah. I never really understood bachelor parties. What? Well, there are weekends where you can just relax. I relax every weekend. It's Shabbat. Okay. <laughs> so I'm trying to think okay, of so other things. Two times high. How many years? Uh, I guess how many? 23 years from Six your birthday, which is Michael Jordan's number. That's a cool one. <laughs> I tell you that. There's no way you just came up with that. I definitely said that to you at some point. No, you didn't. Really? Wow. I know Michael Jordan's number. I even know his second number, 45. Wow. Joseph Levenstein's sports expert. Which was his number when he played baseball. Correct. I used to... Michael Jordan was worth following in sports. It's just after he retired at all. It was like, Michael Jordan retired, Seinfeld stopped, Friends ended. Well, Friends ended later on. But like, yeah, yeah you know, all these things. After that, I just sort of gave up. And I've just been coasting along since then. <laughs> um, and are closer to 40 than 30. You are closer to 40 than 30. That's true. Yeah, Supposedly, not like you, who's looking down the barrel at it. <laughs> Well, supposedly things get better at after 40, so I'll, I'll keep you posted on that. Who says that? I don't know, idiots. <laughs> uh, so I think that's enough time spent on me. This is a podcast on the leading topics in a given week, and until all of a sudden uh, my name gets mentioned in the Capitol building. Um, or you become an unidentified flying object. Ah, that brings us to our next thing. I wonder how you knew that that would be our next topic. Do you like have the list in front of you? I'm a psychic. Um, it is the 75th anniversary of the first widely reported UFO sighting. It was near Mount Rainier in Washington. Um, it's fascinating. Finally, here we are 75 years later, the government finally is having like the first um, hearings on UFOs in years. Um, it has gone from a taboo, you're a nut job, if you believe it, topic, when kind of right before the X-Files came out, to, oh, that's pretty cool, but I still think it's nonsense, to, holy crap, you have government pilots saying, we don't know what these things are, you have um, 
uh, sorry, military pilots, not government pilots, uh, military pilots saying we don't know what these things are and people actually taking it seriously. Again, not every UFO is alien, but there are maneuvers occurring that go beyond any grasp of any type of even experimental technology we're working on. Because again, if some of it, some of it I'm sure is that, but um, there are things that kind of um, defy what we are capable of at the moment. So um, it's uh, UFO is um, it's a culture and it's quite interesting. And and um, and if you believe that we are really in a base reality, uh, UFOs really are fascinating because um, it's kind of now with video technology, concrete proof that um, there is something up there that we as humans cannot explain. Right. Yeah. Um, the truth is out there. But it may be. Or maybe. Um, <laughs> like your base reality. So if we're in a simulation, <laughs> it's a whole other conundrum. But assuming this is... Well, we can be in a base reality with a multiverse, can't we? Yeah. Well, there'd be tons of base realities in the multiverse. Right. right. So that's, that's fine. Then there could be a base reality in the multiverse where aliens hang out on the planet Earth. Yeah. Um, Men in Black is a, is a documentary. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the, yeah, I mean, the, the whole concept of it is, like, if you think about the universe and then you go just out there, I mean, it's just not crazy to think about people you know something coming here that can that doesn't come the flying around in our atmosphere that doesn't come from this planet and that doesn't want to interact with humans because we do such a good job unfortunately of hating each other and creating wars and conflicts that they probably want to stay as far away as possible yeah i mean i think then if you're already going into that realm then you can also go down to like what time means to us does not necessarily mean the same uh-huh. to them. So it could be 75 years to them as a minute, and to us it's 75 years. So, yep. you know, there's so many different variables once you go into that realm that just, you know, the the key part in that is just accepting that maybe humans aren't the end all of all. And, um, you know, so there's other, there's very possibly other things out there. It's very interesting. Most religions don't deal with it, but it's interesting if most i mean at least in judaism it's most be that we were created in god's image and we were the chosen people or what blah 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 if you add in aliens in that i wonder what it would do if like there was a proof of alien life if that would change any of the world's leading religions all of a sudden somebody landed on the white house lawn came out and uh and had a press conference it would be very interesting if that would change any of the world's baseline religions. Yep. And, I mean, I think in Judaism's case, we'd be able to adapt because yeah. I think a big part of like, what we... <laughs> Judaism finds answers to things all the time. This, where... <laughs> is, this is true until it's not. And then we'll adapt. Yeah. Um, We're the chosen humans, not necessarily the chosen people. What I, aliens. What I find interesting, and this I, this is not an absolute, but in most cases... Aliens come to our... In, in, like, science fiction, the aliens come to the planet Earth and try to destroy us or Correct. go to war with us. And no, I wonder, there, are, there are definitely some in which they try to help us. It's just way less. Because yeah. it's less so entertaining. Why, is, I guess, yeah, it's, I was going to say, why do we always go to... It's less alien? entertaining. And it shows humanity finally putting all of their things aside with each other and finally all coming together for something. Well, I mean, in the other side, so of that's it is, that makes a much better movie. 
That does make a much better movie. Um, then aliens coming, aliens coming and creating a a uh, uh, heaven becoming a place on Earth. Oh, it's all just getting along better because a- exactly. Of and people like because everybody wants to see a movie where just everybody goes along <laughs> happily together and creates a utopia. But the other side of it is, I just thought about this is like you know we often when in other podcasts and other episodes where we've talked about the importance of space exploration because eventually. Earth is no longer going to be Correct. inhabitable. It's not illogical to say, well, if we're eventually going to be forced to go into space, and it could be in a billion years, right? Mm-hmm. But eventually, if humans still exist they have in a billion to. years, we're going to have right. to go out into space. And you can say the universe has been around for billions of years, and there's other species out there that may have encountered a similar type of thing. And then they need a place to live. And, you know, if someone's in the way of you going to the place where you need to live, you're going to eradicate them. So it's not an illogical assumption that if aliens came here looking for a place that they could live, that they're going to opt into first trying, especially if they've done reconnaissance on us. Right. And seeing how we are with our own people that yeah. look different. Correct. Like, yeah. You're going to be like, well, there's not going to be much <laughs> chance of us getting along, so let's just try to kill all of them because that's our best chance. Or or let's not make any contact because we're... We're, we're, we, we just are a peace-faring, exploratory group. The last thing we want to do is create conflict with these people and have to deal with it. But if they have no... Ch- but let's just say they need an oxygen planet with water. Oh, yeah, we'd be in trouble. Yeah, we'd be in trouble. Especially if they have more advanced technology. Um, <laughs> moving on from that horrible hypothetical <laughs> that let's hope never happens. Um, it's also, to unfortunately, a, a sadder real topic. One year since... 98 people were killed in the Surfside Collapse in Miami Beach, Florida. Um, I have a friend who worked for the Hatsala there. I think we've talked about this once before, maybe even exactly a year ago when it happened. But um, it's really crazy. I think what's interesting is what my friend was telling me is that while the government is giving a lot of money to anybody who lost a loved one um, in it, if you lost your apartment in it, basically, because, again, people lost their homes, um, and survived that weren't there that night or ended up that half of the building didn't collapse, that they're giving them like way less money than even what their apartments were worth. And that these people with increasing inflation, and we may get to this afterwards, um, and pricing, that basically they're not getting nearly enough value for their homes and then they have really nowhere to live or they have to go live in a different community as a result because because the value that was placed on their home um, is not nearly enough for them to find a uh, a like-minded building. Huh. What about insurance? So the insurance companies, I think that's who's paying, that's who's covering it. It's not the government for the people that lost the people who didn't um, who didn't have any um, deaths in the family or injuries and just lost their apartment or or was in their apartment. And again, it's just part of those collapsed towers that are just now obviously unlivable. Um, I think it's just insurance isn't paying off that much because whatever that value was or again, this will be wrapped up in court a very long time. And again, I don't have the full story. Maybe we'll bring somebody on here who has a little bit more of an expert on this, but it's interesting when a disaster happens, all the different layers of what's still occurring a year later. Yeah, no, for sure. And I'll, yeah, I mean... Well, that's a very that is from the human perspective, right? You know, sort of the news cycle moves on, mm-hmm. but the people who are affected and traumatized by it, they're traumatized and affected by it for life, right? And not just on the first anniversary, like today, they are literally 
um, traumatized or have a loss that they'll never be able to get over. But even the people that didn't and just literally just lost their place to live, it, it's very, very interesting as to what ends up, how it works through the process. And you would think um, because um, it was just such a horrendous disaster that things would move quicker, but they in re- reality, they don't because each company is probably saying, well, this goes above and beyond casual or all the different types of insurances out there and who's actually responsible to pay these people back for this happening. Also, I mean, I'm, I, I don't know this, but I would assume at the time there was like assumptions of like negligence and whatever from like property management. Correct. So those will be lawsuits also that will exactly. take place in those. So it's just going to be multi-year until these families at least get some sort of financial recuperation, but the reality is that they've lost their homes, they've had trauma, they've lost loved ones. 98 people, I mean, that number is pretty shocking for just like a regular night in a building in Florida, you know, to have that type of thing happen. But, um, and I can't believe it's already been a year. I, time goes by very bizarrely. Um, yeah, no, it feels like two, but. Um, it's it's all relative in terms yeah. of how you measure in time and what your last year has been like. That's true. Um, the other thing that's really happening that we cannot not mention in our podcast and politics today will likely be something we'll mention in a year from now. Roe v. Wade was overturned today by the Supreme Court, overturning a landmark decision 50 years ago, allowing abortions nationally. Um, there were different... Um, restrictions put on by different states on on allowing it um, in the past, but now the Supreme Court has now made it thrown it completely to the states. Right. So it is no longer national. So it previously it was a constitutional no, right. Is that what it, that I was mean? It was a it was a na- it was a national law basically that it was legal. Right. Um, now with them striking down that case, um, individual states like I think Missouri signed today. That basically, even in a case of rape or incest, you're not allowed to have an abortion. Um, all these individual red states, because of where also the Republican Party has moved, it used to be that a majority of the Republican Party believed that if in those cases, abortion should be allowed. And that was kind of the more moderate and larger wing of the party. Now, because of where, again, polarization is happening, these states are having extreme laws on outlawing any form of abortion and literally i think it's a first degree felony in some states if you have it so it's going to cause more people again if you're wealthier and can go to a blue state or can uh, can afford to again fly out of go to a different state to get it done fine but this is really going to affect poor and um and um as people on a much larger level because they may not have that luxury of being able to do that. Um, as well as the fact of the whole women's rights issue, a lot of people feel um, because they basically have allowed states to make decisions over women's reproductive rights. So, um, and again, just to, to also say the other side of it, what a lot of Republicans feel like, that as soon as conception occurs, that there is a life in that person and and that it is basically... Uh, murder of that fetus, which is a person, and different people believe on when that occurs. Is it a baby? Is it at conception, which is kind of the most extreme view? Is it at six weeks, 12 weeks, 20 weeks, 32 weeks, whatever, whatever number that is, but they believe that allowing 
that you're literally trying to save a person and it is so just kind of explaining the two sides we are not as two men going to enter this debate in terms of what we might think or might not think and i'll be the first to say i i just it's almost the third rail of politics i mean it really is and and i think to me the especially if you're a man good luck yeah and I think, you know, the big piece here is um, is just that what you touched on, the polarization. Um, it's it's not necessarily that it's it's concerning. It's it's not that it's scary, but it is concerning. Like, this continues. Oh, I think the polarization is scary. Well, I, I, I actually do. This is one of these things that's just going to create more of a divide Correct. between the states and then in turn between the people and it's just one of these additionally divide an, just another wedge that's being driven into this country listen and, and, and people who problem. have the means can move to a blue state or can move to a red state and what that does is really creates an even more extreme um now i don't know how many people again are moving to a state because of the laws of that state but as we've seen, at least economically, Texas and Florida have had huge growth because of the favorable laws in the state regarding taxes. Now, again, that's obviously different here, but there's no reason why for somebody who's like, I don't want the country and the state telling me how to live my life, I'm going to move to a state where I know I have that freedom. Which is ironic because this actually, to me, feels like less freedom, right? If the state is saying a medical procedure is illegal or something like this is illegal... And that is in and, some, and, and, that's and government intervening. Which correct, is, which is typically what Republicans yeah, are against. That's, that's what's so confusing about it. Like it's just if you want you know, the, the if you want small government and you want less government intervention, then this is this is to me the opposite of that. Well they're letting they're saying that now at least you put it into what they're using Republicans, you're putting it into states' hands and you're letting the people right. decide because the people directly get to, to do their state legislatures right. rather than um, yeah, I mean, Milton um, Friedman touches on this, right? Like, as you go higher and higher up in government, the individual person has less impact, right? So it's like at right. the at the county level, at the city level, and the county level, and even at the state level, you as a person can have more of an so influence. So the Republican argument is that now people have way more say in what they want as their laws for their given state. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's all it's all pretty messy. But to me, like I said, like it's a polarization. And an additional wedge in this society that's already so divided and just one more thing that's going to divide people further. And, you know, it's, it's hard and it's just it. I, I, I stand by like, I don't think it's necessarily scary yet, but I do think it's just it's just concerning to have these continued divisions that just grow deeper and deeper in this country. And, you know, as long as to some degree, I do think, and this even doesn't hold true historically, but I think as long as people are still aligned with like the vision of what America is and what America should be and could be, um, we'll be okay. But it's just, it's just unfortunate to see something else that's just going to divide people even more in this country. Yeah. Um, we're going to move on to one last topic. We're not going to have time for random today because we're running late on the podcast, uh, as well as the timing. Um, so our last topic is today is the 114th anniversary of the death of Grover Cleveland. Um, by the way, the last topics just for all of you guys, they'll be here plenty to discuss next week is what happened to crypto currency, what's happening with inflation, but our last, and there's still plenty of time because 
and the next time we do our podcast, that will still be a leading concern um, with um, both of them. But it's the 114th anniversary of the death of Grover Cleveland. Grover Cleveland is the only president in history to have not two non-consecutive terms. And why I bring it up here is because of the polarization of our world. If Donald Trump runs again, you will be hearing about Grover Cleveland out of his mouth. I am positive multiple, multiple times how the American people, this happened once before, elected Grover Cleveland, thought that they made a mistake and put Harrison in there and then realized how much they missed Grover Cleveland and voted for him and elected him again. Um, Assuming the Trump um, January 6th hearings, which we haven't gotten into, which have been very fascinating and pretty damning, but, um, and I've even heard that from Republicans, but because of the polarization in this country, I don't know if it even matters because I don't know if Trump's going to lose a single supporter as a result of this because um, the amount of moderates or anybody kind of choosing between parties has gotten smaller and smaller. Um, but regardless, you will be hearing about Grover Cleveland potentially in 2023 and um, 2024 before that 24 election if Trump decides to run again. It will be extremely fascinating to see if Donald J. Trump decides to run for president again. So that is interesting. I think uh, I, I've, I had heard of Grover Cleveland and I was going to yell, President! So at least I knew that. I did not know about the non-consecutive thing, which is interesting. Um, and apparently his real first name was Steven, so that's even cooler. Ah, Stephen Grover. Grover so he won. Okay, got it. So he was followed by William McKinley. So he was president from eighteen eighty nine to eighteen ninety three. Harrison was then president from eighteen ninety three to. Nope, that's not right because that was McKinley. Sorry, he was president from eighteen eighty five to eighteen eighty nine. Harrison right. was from eighteen eighty nine to eighteen ninety three, and then Cleveland was from eighteen ninety three to eighteen ninety seven. And then, okay, got it. And then McKinley took over. He was then killed in 1901. And then Teddy Roosevelt. How was he killed? For eight years. Gunman, Leon Cogs. I can never I pronounce his last name right. But he was assassinated in Buffalo, New York. Interesting. Um, oh, and apparently uh, Cleveland was mayor of Buffalo. And then eventually governor of New York. So that's also... Yeah. And then his predecessor, his successor would end up being shot and killed there. Interesting. Why... What was so bad? I'm trying to think. So at that point, like, what was going on in America at that point? It was before World War One, I. I guess before was... the turn of the century. Yeah, it was. You had um, it was kind of the end of um, a Reconstruction. Kind of ended by like by then. Um, it was an interesting time in in U.S. history. It's uh, gold standard. Yeah. Um, Railway. Railroad. Railroads, yeah. railroads were a huge deal, um, but yeah, it's a time period that is not that those years of kind of post-reconstruction 1877 mm-hmm. till kind of teddy roosevelt's time it's about 25 years from 1877 till about 1901 don't get a lot of um don't get a lot of coverage really in american history so much interesting i mean yeah because i mean think of, i guess there's not that long after uh the civil war also so it's yeah. like and you, know, you talk about the civil war and then it's like okay well then there's a period after the civil war Right. Well, that was Reconstruction, but that ended after about 12 years. So Reconstruction typically, they say, ended like 1877. Got it. 65 to 77. So. Interesting. Well, um, let's, uh, let's just hope that uh, Donald Trump doesn't decide to run for president again. For, yes. Um, I think that that will plunge this country into even greater chaos. Yeah. So 
that will wrap up the weekly four. Again, if you've made it this far, please subscribe. Hopefully we will be back again before a month from now and get back to being the weekly four. From Stephen Mitzner. Joseph Levenstein. Thank you all for listening. Have a great week.